Father, we love you. And I thank you for this amazing word that you have given us, the word of God. And Lord, we don't want to be those who would take the word of God and use it for our own ends or to seek to manipulate what we read so that we come out ahead somehow personally. God, we want to be a church that puts ourselves underneath the word of God and says, Father, in every way would you cause us to grow and live and become all that you mean us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and now for something, something seemingly completely different. Um, we're supposed to be in Acts. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of writing a sermon and being basically finished with a sermon and then the Lord saying to you, that is a great sermon. That'll preach. But it won't preach this Sunday. Um, that's my experience. So, I want to talk to you, start off on the Exodus, okay? The Exodus of the Israelites leaving Egypt is a fascinating story, um, even from a numbers standpoint, okay? I mean, you can be blown away by the intricacies and all, but e- even from just numbers alone, it's an incredible story. Um, like that, it was only from Egypt to the Promised Land, how many miles? Does anybody know? Yeah, 240 miles. It was only 240 miles from Egypt to the Promised Land, okay? Now, if you walked at a normal pace for eight hours a day, uh, that would be six miles a day, okay? So the journey from Egypt to Exodus, it should have taken 40 days. That's four and a half weeks. The Israelites didn't average six miles a day. They averaged six miles a year. Believe it, six miles a year, and they got there in 40 years or 14,600 days. That is mind-blowing to me. And it begs the question, why? Well, here's the answer. Exodus 16, 1 through 8. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is a funny wordplay. It has nothing to do with sin. Um, It's just that they were close to Mount Sinai, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only... If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then God said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people hard to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions." On the sixth day, they are, they are to uh, prepare what they bring in, that is, to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us, Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Again, who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Now, readers of this passage have a common reaction, okay? We read this passage with indignation, always, and we exclaim, what is wrong with these people? 
How in the world could these people complain? Look at what God has just done for them, okay? They, 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 were, it's, they start out um, in Egypt, and there they're slaves for 430 years, okay? Unless you listen to Kim, Ken Ham from Ansys in Genesis, who says it was only 213 years. Either way, for centuries they're enslaved. Now, they're enslaved by Pharaoh, a.k.a the Hitler of the ancient Near East, okay? He really is. Hitler's aim is to exterminate these Jews. I mean, we know from the Word of God he is going to work them to death, build these bricks, build these buildings, but I'm going to leave the straw out. I'm going to work you to death. I'm I'm, I'm going to mistreat your children. I'm going to have my slave drivers beat you. So in the midst of all this, God's people cry out. And what happens? God hears them. He raises up a deliverer for them called Moses, and then God sends plagues so severe on Pharaoh that he is forced to release them. It's just a miracle what God has just done. But then, but then, okay, we've got a little more action. Pharaoh regrets the decision. You know, as soon as the heat is off, you know, God, God, the heat of the plagues, he goes right back after them. He sends his army after them, a massive army. And remember, Israel's coming out of Egypt. They're weak. Okay, they are unarmed, so here's this army coming after them. And, and so finally, the climax comes. They are pinned, right? Israel is caught between the Red Sea and this advancing army. But God moves again in power, and He wipes out the army behind them. He parts the sea in front of them, and the children of God waltz through on dry land. And listen, I don't care. I don't care that the strut did not get invented until the 70s, but I guarantee you, man, I mean, there was some high stepping, right? This is just an amazing moment. And so we read this story, and we still say, what is wrong with these people? How do they lose sight of this? How can they complain against the Lord? Which, by the way, is much like when we say that about our children. How could these children, for one moment, complain against the great parents God has given them? I mean, we do this. And and y'all know the answer to, to, to uh, to that question. And you've heard it before. It's because although God got them out of Egypt, there was still a whole lot of Egypt left in the Israelites, you know? I mean, I'm sorry, but when you have been a slave for 430 years and mistreated like this, it it does something to you. And and that's why they, they are like they are. But it's still tempting for us as readers of this to go, you know what, though? Still, if God just did all that for me, man, I would be grateful. I would be dancing before the Lord. You mean like when God moves in power in our lives, something incredible happens. And then something will rise up to threaten it, and we flip out, right? I think we'd be a whole lot like the Israelites here. So I thank God for Exodus 16, which shows us the the catastrophe, the damage, the danger of grumbling, what it does to us, what it really is. And in this passage, it's three things at least, okay? Now, here's the first thing that their grumbling did. The first thing that Israel's grumbling did was it sent them on a one-way bus ride to Fantasyland, okay? Now, this is not to be confused with Fantasyland in the Disney World Park. This is a very different Fantasyland. Here's where it shows up. Verse 3, the Israelites make this incredible statement. It's unbelievable. If only God had killed us in Egypt, where we sat around pots of meat 
and we ate all the bread we wanted. We read that, and if you know the story, there's only one, there's only one response. The response is, holy cow, when in the world did that happen in Egypt? I mean, these people have got to be talking about like Egypt, Arkansas, okay? They are not talking about Egypt, Egypt. Egypt was not a land of plenty for any Israelite. It was a horrible, horrible place. And so what you realize about grumbling here, at least with these folks, is grumbling made them misremember yesterday, right? I mean, they, here they are in this passage, reliving good old days that were not any good at all. It distorted their past. It made yesterday something it never, ever was. That's the first thing their grumbling did. The second thing it did is when we discover this chilling and this absolute truth, when Moses and Aaron go to talk to the people and they tell them, hey, guess what? I know our names are used in the grumbling. You know, that Moses, that Aaron. I know you're using our names, but believe it or not, you're not grumbling against us. Your grumbling is against the Lord. Now, I know if we had an Israelite here from, from this community in Exodus 16, they would jump up and they would go, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. You guys are completely misunderstanding us Israelites. We were not grumbling against Moses and Aaron or the Lord. We were just grumbling against our circumstances. But see, here's what jumps out of the passage. You can't grumble against your circumstances without grumbling against the Lord of every circumstance. You just can't miss it here. In reality, what the Israelites are doing is they are ripping God's choice of leadership. They are tearing into God's plan of deliverance, kind of asking the question, you know, I mean, you said you'd be with us forever. Boy, we sure don't see you around us today. And then the third and most obvious result from the math problem I gave you a little earlier is that grumbling delayed their destiny. You know, it turned 40 years or 40 days into 40 years. It moved them from this to a snail's pace, absolute snail's pace. It, it, it delayed their destiny. And so we read all this and we go, okay, well, that's what Israel did. What did God do? You know, because God here probably ought to be pretty hot. You know, like we get with our kids when they're really ungrateful, God ought to be pretty upset. But look at his response in verse 4. It's absolutely unbelievable. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Wow. Verse 6 in the evening, you will know it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, in verse 7, you will see the glory of the Lord who heard your grumbling against Him. The only conclusion that I can draw when I read God's response is, man, is that some father's love or what? Do you think God loves His children? In Exodus 16, it, you, just, you just can't miss it. But the tragedy, the real tragedy, is after all of this with the Exodus Israelites, after deliverance, protection, provision, and just right now in those three verses, four, six, and seven, unbelievable generosity. You know what the Israelites keep do? They keep right on keeping on with the grumbling. A little later, they even add idolatry to it. Now, listen to this, Exodus 16, uh, 17, and this is right after what we just read. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, which ironically is kind of a desert of sin now, isn't it? Um, and they set out traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, 
but there was no water to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But they were thirsty and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us? And our children and our livestock die of thirst. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So, so God provides again for the people. Again, the Father's heart comes out. He has Moses strike the rock, and water flows for the people to drink. And Moses ends up naming the place. He calls it Massa, and uh, he calls it Meribah, because there the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Which, again, is the heart of grumbling. Is God really doing what he said he's going to do? But even despite all of this, what did God do? God kept His promise to Israel, didn't He? They did reach the promised land, didn't they, right? God is good. He keeps His promise. The tragedy here, though, is that it wasn't this generation in Exodus 16 which reached the promised land. It was the next generation who got to enter in. That generation died out in the wilderness in the midst of all their grumbling, and they missed the promise. And it just goes to show, you know, if Revelation 5.8 is true, okay, if our prayers and our praises are a sweet incense to the Lord, then our grumblings and our complainings are stench. They're a pollution. They're a smog. And I've seen this before in churches. In fact, um, I, I have seen this kind of thing bring death to a church before. Um, years ago, and I will leave the name of the church out and the pastor in the congregation out of it, but um, I was once an associate pastor in a very grumbling church, okay? Um, these people bickered, and they complained like, and I mean, nothing you have ever seen before. It felt like the whole church had like this huge axe to grind, and here was the crazy thing about their grumblings. 90% of what they grumbled about was absolutely untrue. Like if they had gone to the source and said, hey, Jane, you know, da-da-da-da, they would find out, oh my gosh, that isn't even true. Most of it was untrue, but all of it was really, really petty. I mean, you're talking molehill-type stuff that just turned into, in, in, into mountains. And so in other words, this is real sitting around the meat pots in our mind, you know, in this place that never was, and, you know, lamenting everything that's bad today, and the stuff they would complain about. You know, the color of the carpet, the pastor's shaggy beard, you know, restless kids in the service. So it wasn't about me because I, I have no beard. Um, you know, these people, these people, you know, who clap at the end of performances, they just ripped into everything. And so this church that we're a part of, which is miserable for Jane and I because we're kind of joyful types, it's just sour, right? And it's getting sour every day. I know sour isn't a word, but finally came, came the big moment, okay? Finally, the pastor is, is, is wrapping up the service, and this was one of these 12 o'clock only churches. I mean, like, the church ends at 12, so the pastor is gone just a little bit long. The clock is at 12 o'clock. He is just wrapping up, and he goes over to 12.01. As soon as he hit 12.01, a guy sitting in the third row, not to be confused with Jerry Rex, okay, but a guy sitting in the third row, his name was Ed, okay, no, no relation to any Ed in the room. The names, you know, this isn't anybody here, but this guy named Ed, 12.01, he does this. And I saw it. And I mean, everything in me, I just, I looked and I said, oh, dear God, 
forgive these people. They, they, they are so lost. And you know, you hear a story like that and you think, oh my gosh, that is such an Exodus, it's just an Exodus 16 moment all over again. How could these people complain? How could they, you know, lament and all that? How, how do they do this? And what I want to say to you as your pastor, someone who's trying to be like Paul today, to encourage and to challenge, is don't judge them too harshly. Because I do see some signs of this in our beloved church. And it's not one or two people. And it's not everybody either, by the way, but I'm seeing it, and it's picking up steam. And I want to go into this for just a minute, and listen, my heart is not to shame you. But sometimes when you hear this stuff, you actually hear it for the first time, and you catch the the, the gravity of it. And if it helps, the few examples I'll throw out there, I I, I really, I don't think I know who you are, okay? I mean, that's as as honest as I can be. I, I don't think... Um, I, I actually know who you are, but here's the kind of stuff that's bubbling up, okay? Like last week, we asked for a directory, we asked for some directory input. Hey, we'd like to do a pictorial directory. Let us know if, you, you know, would you give your information? Would you want to be a part of this? Let us know, and then we leave a space for some comments, you know? Give us some comments about the directory. Half the cards come back, and they're just full of complaints about the sound system. The sound system stinks. And we said two weeks ago, give grace for the sound system. It's brand new. We're going to be working on the levels. We're going to be filling in with new equipment. We need some grace for this thing. And the space, yeah, the, the space that's meant for the directory becomes a bunch of really just rough, rough complaints. And some of them really were rough. Too often around here, when the, when the offering's being uh, counted up, there are cards uh, you know, an envelope card. You know, on an envelope card, you write down your stuff, talk about the envelope, you know, hey, love to give, whatever. We keep getting these envelopes complaining about the pastor's dress. What kind of an example is the pastor to the young people of this congregation, by the way, he dresses? We all know they're talking about Mark, okay? I mean, we know that. But <laughs> I love you, man. I only play with people I love. But, but you know, you, you, see, you see the thing. You know, you, you see where it is. Every now and then, there, there, there could be a loud griping in, the, in, the, in the, the lobby after the service. Well, who's really in charge around here? Which, by the way, is a great question, but it's just inappropriate, you know? Last week, I was walking through the hall, and I overheard a meeting, and someone in the meeting said, you know, and, and this, this one just stopped me on my tracks, if the elders really cared about our ministry, they would give us more money to do our ministry. And I could go on. I could go on, but I'll stop there. I will just add this, that we do have some staff members like Shiloh, Buffy, and Missions, and Will. They get hammered every week, really, really hammered. Not enough hymns, too many hymns, too loud. Why is this door locked? Where's the coffee? And, and, and listen, the thing is, some of you know this because you are the source of this. I want you to hear this. It's not okay. It's wrong. And it's not wrong to have a concern and to express it to the right person. That's really good. And listen, sometimes people don't listen. So if Neil doesn't listen to you, let me know. We'll go to Neil and talk about it. You know? but, but seriously, concerns matter. Bring them to the right person. But I'll tell you what's wrong. It's wrong to talk amongst yourselves like this and never go to the source and then load up and fire. It's wrong. It's wrong to whisper in secret. 
It's wrong to tear down what God is doing in the church. It is against God. It does delay the destiny of the church. And listen, from what I hear, a lot of it's just, it's just wrong. It's just not true. A lot of it is just really, really petty. And I know we like to be real religious and kind of dress it up and all this stuff. But, you know, that, that's one thing. But let me tell you something else. It's, it's not cute either. You know, sometimes people respond back and say, well, you know, oh, that's just so-and-so. Nobody takes them seriously. According to Exodus 16, God takes them seriously. And I'll tell you this, so do the people that they're running down. And my concern as a pastor is it'll move from taking it seriously to those folks who really take it to heart. So listen, if that's you, you need to know this. All of us need to know this. The Word of God says that the power of life and death are in these tongues. So I'm just asking all of us, and listen, you talk about somebody who's repented of this this week, I've had to repent. What is our tongue an instrument of? Is it a tongue, is an instrument of life or is it an instrument of death? That is a very kind way of saying stop it. In Jesus' name, knock it off, okay? Knock it off. And if you're the friend who listens and doesn't comment, you need to stop too. You really do. Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire dies down. It's adding wood to the fire to listen, to entertain this kind of stuff. So, so listen, we've, we've got to stop this stuff. Because the truth is, we can't leave our Egypt behind with this kind of stuff in the body. And I know we can say, listen, Steve, this happens in every church. It does. It happens in every church. It's not unique to KPC. I know that. I know it happens in every church. I know it's not unique to us. That has nothing to do still with the point, right? It still doesn't change the point for a church with a destiny, okay? Now, if you sat here today and you have no idea what I'm talking about, i got to say something to you. Thank you. Thank you! Thank you. Listen, I want to tell you who you are, okay? And I can't name everybody. Maybe I shouldn't name anybody, but I'll just say this. You know what you are to me? You're an oxygen tank. You are an oxygen tank in the smog of complaining. You are life, your gift, your treasure. And it's not that there's never a problem. I mean, some of, the, some of the, the folks I think of that are my oxygen tanks will say, Steve, you know, something needs addressing. Yeah, that happens, but you're an oxygen tank. Gary Howell, you are an oxygen tank to me. Mark Skipper, well, I don't know where Mark is. Barry Logston, you know who else? You know who my biggest oxygen tank in the whole church is? Sophie Tiller. I declare that child, man, I just breathe free air around this sweet little thing. I told everybody she was, I'm her big boyfriend. Oh, you were there, I think, when I said that. But anyway, but listen, it's such a gift and such a treasure. And so I say as a church, let's go ahead and just have the desolation of smog. Let's wipe this stuff out. And I'm going to tell you how you can do it because it's really easy. Here's how we do it, okay? What is grumbling, murmuring, and complaining? What is it really? Can we boil it down to one word, starts with an N, ends with a tude, and it has a grat in the middle? It's ingratitude, right? That, that's what this stuff is. It, grumbling is not being thankful for what God has put on your plate. Going back to our children, that's exactly what it is. It is. Amen to that. So what's the opposite of grumbling? It's gratitude. It's just flat out being thankful, okay? You might be a grumbler in your life. Okay, you might not aim any of it at the church. Maybe you aim it at the church. So, so what do you do? How, how do we become grateful? Easy, past, present, and future. When it comes to the past, look at what God has done in your life. 
Look at his track record. Look at how he showed up and saved. Look at how you don't even look like that anymore because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at your past and remember. Look at this church and, and has God or has God not rescued this church? I mean, yeah. I mean, look at what God provides for this church in terms of gifts and talents and worship. And man, just look at what he's done in the past to get us here. And then what do you do with that? Remember that and then just give thanks. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. When it comes to today, look at what God is doing in your life right now. What is God up to today in your heart, in your mind? I mean, how is he showing up? You know, Mark's asking for testimonies for Unbound, which, by the way, is a service for everybody. It's fantastic. I plugged that. You saw how I did that, didn't you? Okay. So, but look at what God is doing right now and just celebrate it. What is God doing in the church? What is God doing in me? Celebrate that. And then when it comes to the future, that's the most fun of all because we don't know what it's going to look like yet. You know, we don't know exactly what it is, but look at the promises of his word. Look at what he whispers to us by his spirit that, that we're becoming. And, and, you know, just celebrate that. Today as we come to the communion table, okay, here's a big one. Communion's all about remembering the cross. It's about remembering what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Communion is about remembering that and then giving thanks to God for all of it. So take the past, present, and future, and God's role in it, and the cross, bundle them all up like a bunch of flowers, you know. Men, I can't think of a more masculine example than that, but just bundle it up and just rejoice in the goodness of God. Gratitude is how you get Egypt out of your heart, okay? That's how you get poverty and slavery out of your mind. And I'm going to give us all a good example. We have got an example in this body, and, and this group doesn't even know it's coming. I'm going to give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. There's a group called the deacons, okay? Now, let me tell you about the deacons. The deacons, about a year ago, and I, I never said this because I didn't want to discourage you guys, but they, they got this great ministry called the Food Pantry. That building, oh my gosh, I was like, holy cow, if an inspector comes in here, man, we're, I mean, bad shape, terrible shape. This, you know, guys, I'm sorry. I just, I, I thought it was bad. So here's what the deacons didn't do. They didn't complain about it. You know, oh, the food pantry stinks. Yeah, they, they, they didn't complain. You know, they didn't blame it on the elders. They didn't say the church didn't care. They realized, hey, what is a deacon? A deacon's a servant. We're called to steward this ministry, right? So they prayed, they planned, God provided, and they are renovating this this entire thing. In other words, instead of being entitled like somebody ought to fix this man, they just jumped in there. And as I watch them in this project, it is a huge project. I, they are like the seven dwarves coming back from the mines, you know. They're so happy. You know, I'm like, man, you guys, you've been working all day on your Saturday, you know. I mean, I was watching basketball. I mean, I'm meant to be here, but you know, they're just, you know, they're so energized by it, this big, hard thing. But see, that's what a grateful people does. That's how a grateful people gets things done. And see, the truth of it is, when this thing is completed, the blessings that will come out of this, the lives that will be saved, people will walk out of here with food in their hands, they'll walk out of here with clothes on their backs, and I'm telling you, people are going to walk out of here knowing Jesus, that's already happening with a bad building. But how much more, this beautiful thing that these guys have done. So I want to encourage you, you know, I had to say some hard things today, and the Lord said some hard things to me about Steve Keller, and I chose not to share those with you. Um, but, but we are now moving to communion, okay? 
And communion, again, and Neil will lead us through this, the communion is all about remembering Jesus Christ. Communion is also about new beginnings. And I just wonder, as we take these elements today, can we remember, okay? Can we remember all that's been done for us, all that's been provided? And can communion be a a, a new beginning for not a bunch of people who come together for religious stuff, but for a family today? In Jesus' name.